episode 38 of Strange Brow Radio. It's me, I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Thanks for joining us. We are back. It seems like it's been a while, but a lot has happened since we've last spoken. And we're going to get into some of that. We're going to get into quite a bit. In fact, it's Patreon time, so if you haven't heard... Well, now you're going to hear about Patreon and Strange Brow Radio. It is going live tonight. I believe it is going to be on the 7th of October. I want to thank our sponsor, FeralByAaronEtsy.com. Get your butt to Etsy. Look out for the little heart button. Click the heart button or make a purchase. It's holiday time. And it's your time to get on Etsy. Shaman-inspired drums, rattles, and smudge fans, and as I said, gallery pieces. Legit. And Stanwood, Washington, with artwork by artist and contributor from Ancient Aliens, Marcia K. Moore. Check her out. Alright, it's a mashup time. Strange Familiars meets a la Strange Brow with Timothy Renner. I'll tell you more in a second. We'll be right back. All right, in this episode, this is what they call a mashup, I guess. I don't know if I love that term, mashing together podcast. All right, we mashed it together. Timothy Renner and I from Strange Familiars did a mutual podcast together. We shared an episode. So if you hop on over to Strange Familiars, you can hear the entire talk, I believe, uh he probably has it listed under something has to do with the Al Moon Lab Extra or something to that effect. This is going to be a two-part podcast with Timothy Renner and I. We got back together uh, and did a, a mutual podcast regarding some objects that we shared that he mentioned in an area that he experienced some stuff called pandemonium. And if you haven't heard those two episodes, go back and listen to Strange Familiar's last three or four podcasts and he gets into what this pandemonium business is and these objects that we shared we've had some stuff happen over the last month and uh, so we just basically got together to share this stuff however since this is a two-part series on mine this is one for members and non-members the first part is of course going to be a non-member uh, episode if you want to hear the second episode you're welcome to go find that over at uh, Strange Familiars. I'm breaking this down into two parts, though, because I had a chance to go down to Cottage Grove, Oregon, and stay at the Al Moon Lab, and walked away with some pretty amazing stuff. Mainly, after I left, things started to occur as soon as uh, I pretty much put the gas pedal down and started headed north again to Washington State. You get these... Uh, text messages or uh, pictures about things kind of occurring that way from the property owner that no longer lives there, Daryl Adams, or things going on up at this property in Washington that may or may not be connected. Regardless, I got together with them and did a kind of a deep dive on Daryl Adams. I, I wanted you to meet him one-on-one. -on -one. He's been out there before. You know, you can find us on YouTube talking about uh, the lab and his wife. But I'd never sat down with him and done a podcast. So um, we sat down and he got his, we got his perspective on what exactly has occurred with him. 
you know, before, during, and after the Al Moon Lab. Then we spoke to Ren Varney, uh, who's also done an episode with us here. He's the neighbor to the Al Moon Lab and still lives there and has had some very interesting stuff. So that's the extra. It goes on for quite a bit, and we do some field audio towards a place where they had a sighting of these lights, some strange smells, and we're getting surrounded by heavy footsteps. So that's what's in the Patreon episode, and you can only get it if you go to Patreon. And the best way to do that is type in Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Become a member. Type in Strange Brow Radio. It'll pop right up. It'll have our logo up there, and you can decide which membership level you'd like. Just uh, type in Strange Brow Radio, B-R-A-U, Radio. There's a two-package. There's a package one membership, which is extra podcast a month, at least one extra podcast. And then the second level, which is only slightly more expensive, You'll get extra podcasts, extra audio, and also extra video, including the Secrets of the Sasquatch from 2019 that recorded in Oregon with Joe Hauser of the Montana Vortex, uh, Ron Moorhead of Sierra Sounds, Ira Wolfnosen, healer and future author and experiencer, and Carrie Campbell, Ron Moorhead's wife, uh, who also saw a cloaking Sasquatch. And of course, if I didn't say that, Ron Moorhead of the Sierra Sounds and Tom Powell, The Edges of Science, and uh, Christopher O'Brien from Stalking the Herd, also contributor of Ancient Aliens and myself. So it's a pretty long one. It's like three hours long. Check it out and uh, let me know if you have any questions along the way. There's another video up there as well for the uh, second level membership on Patreon. Uh, regarding the mysterious lights in the sky and all the links uh, should be ready to click through so we're still trying to get stuff up on youtube as well for people that uh, just want to watch things on youtube but today part one of strange familiars regarding pandemonium and the al moon lab so let's uh let's listen to part one phone with timothy renner and he is the host of strange familiars podcast how's that for an opening <laughs> there you go we got strange brow and strange familiars the double strange all right podcast shared podcast here oh yeah we're keeping it strange all right and <laughs> your your last episode uh really proves how strange your world is and i just put out an episode that kind of proves how strange my world is and that's why we wanted to talk yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I wanted to mention to my listeners, if you haven't listened to Strange Brow episode 37, it's called the Al Moon Lab Recordings. Now, Tobe has been on before. He was on way back in episode 42. I think I called it Paranormal Bigfoot with Strange Brow. But we've stayed in contact over that time. And he's just released an episode that shares a whole bunch of audio that he recorded at the Al Moon Lab site. It's essential listening, as far as I'm concerned. You should definitely go listen to it. And we're going to be sharing a couple clips here tonight, but uh, you should definitely listen to that. That's Strange Brow, episode 37. Thank you for doing that. That was, uh, I, I absolutely love those episodes. No, and, you know, I'm, what my audience doesn't know, uh, we'll tell them now, is that, uh, yeah, we absolutely have been working behind the scenes on some 
not really projects. They're more like experiments. Uh, these are, you know, at-home citizen scientists, you know, in my case has a day job, but is incredibly curious. That's, you know, the one thing I have going for me is my curiosity, really. So that curiosity led us to to do these experiments where we did these mutual gift exchanges of what in our case was objects that were gifted to us from the others. I think that's the agreed upon name that we're both using. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which I love. I think Nicole Kidman would be proud of us, but um, <laughs> yeah, in my case, I uh, sent you uh, some items in the mail and you sent me some items in the mail and you sent me actually way cooler items, uh, a ton of your books and uh, swag And I appreciate all that. And if, as I mentioned before to the listeners, Timothy, can I call you Tim or do you go by strictly Timothy? Tim is fine. I use Timothy on the books just so I don't get called Timmy, you know? Okay. All right. And my name is actually Toby, but everyone calls me Tobe. So Tim sent me a ton of his books and uh, he's an incredible artist. So if you go to Dark Holler Arts, is that how I say it? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the old record label website and mm-hmm. still going and uh, strangefamiliars.com has stuff. Mm-hmm. He does all his own music. He's amazing. I mean, it, so you paint a lot uh, from the perspective of someone who's interested in folk art and the mysticism behind folk tales and man, every inch of it just reaches out in your show. It has that, you know, just that really cool enigma that's that's strange familiars and you know that's just that's important to have when you have a podcast is to have your own little signature tied to it and you and I talk about similar things but we kind of have our own different signature that we try to put on our shows which I guess is our personality but yeah so that's how we met we started exchanging these objects as of like I think it was July the middle of July that we did this and I don't know do you want to start with with that experiment or what are you feeling like? Um, well, we could get into that first, or I, I'd really like to update my listeners kind of on, on what you've been doing since. So I know you had, you moved from the one site from the old Al Moon lab site, the first one, I guess you call it Al Moon lab one, right? Right. So now we have, we have two names cause it's a series of events. So the Al Moon lab is in Cottage Grove, Oregon. And those were the years for the most part, is 2012 to 2019. And now we have the Al Moon Altar, and that's in Washington, where I live now in the Olympic Peninsula. And the reason one has the name Lab is because we would do these citizen scientist experiments. And this place here, the altar, is because we have these little tiny wooden altars set up all over the forest. We have a nice little parcel of of woods behind the house where we have activity. So that's where they got the names. Now the activity, it seems to have followed you or was the new site already active before you moved there? It was, yeah. So uh, my girlfriend, Aaron Jackson, who's also my sponsor on on the radio show, if people haven't picked that up by now, Aaron Jackson is also the sponsor of Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. Get your shaman-inspired drums, rattles, and smudge sticks. But she, uh, not only a talented artist, you know, that I moved up here with, she also grew up as a long-term witness. And so she had a place next door to where we live, and she boarded horses. That's where activity really 
peaked up, but even before that, she she was a witness and a witness after that with her son. So she grew up with the phenomena, and that's how we met. We actually met at uh, a conference regarding Sasquatch, and uh, that's uh, how we actually started meeting one another more regularly. Let's put it that way, and <laughs> and so we uh, we we started this friendship, and I lived down in Oregon at the time, and. I knew that stuff was going on in Washington because she reminded me of the activity that was happening up here. It didn't seem exactly the same as the type of activity that was happening in Oregon. It was way more aggressive. In fact, we have this debate whether or not Oregon had more male energy going on in Washington. The altar site had more female energy going on. And I know that may sound a little bit weird, but as far as like what was being gifted, it was very in your face down in Oregon, constant daily episodes of the unbelievable. And it didn't matter really who was around, what was going on, it was just gonna happen. Up here, it just kind of, I don't know, it's like going to like a really quiet little gift store and you find little trinkets and they just kind of, you know, appear like little pretties is what she calls them, appear on, you know, all over, inside the house and outside the house. And there's also some gamesmanship that goes on here. But yeah, there seems to be a communication between what was going on in Cottage Grove and what is happening here. For example, I make these wooden sculptures. I sent you one. They're chainsaw carvings of faces. And I carve off bits of, in this case, of the beard of a, a wood watcher. That's what they're called. And so when I carve these, there's tons of little burnt edges because I use map gas to basically, you know, bring down uh, the sanding effect of it to level I like. And it also works for colorizing it and shading the cedar wood. And so these little bits of cedar are falling down over my little work area. Well, one of these cedar bits appeared in Cottage Grove. Now, do I know, for example, that <laughs> there it it matched exactly off of a wood sculpture I did no but it was a burnt piece of cedar sanded with a point that matched several sitting up here in Washington now why is that important why do i think that that's even possible well it was laying in the middle of a glyph okay it was set in the middle of a glyph and we get all these stick structures set up against this possessed or haunted a metal shop, and we may be get into that later. But the idea of something appearing across space and time hundreds of miles away is something that we had to grow kind of used to being possible. Right. And, um, if you listen to my previous episodes, uh, you know, episode one of, of Strange Brow Radio, you'll hear the story about a rock traveling across space and time 35 miles going from the top of a stump to the threshold of a bathroom. And we caught this all on video in real time. Well, we were a couple of minutes behind the curve because I think this stuff doesn't really go by time. You know, it has its mm -hmm. own schedule. So, yeah, that, that's why I think this is possible. And, man, I'm just so curious about what the real story is regarding the supernatural and its connection to us and the afterlife and... You know, Sasquatch is mixed up in this whole thing because I happen to be totally into the woods and they, I, they are too. I, I don't think it limits their 
availability to communicate with you. If you don't live in the woods, I think they can still access you in certain ways. But, you know, we got to start naming these things what they are. And the only thing you can really do is say that the the others, whatever they are, uh, don't like to be classified. They don't like to be studied. They don't like to be filmed. And, you know, I, I have a friend and she says the secrets like to keep themselves. Well, that's really it. I mean, these secrets like to keep themselves. That's a brilliant way to put it. I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how everything started for me. But then you got my audience here. They don't really know what drove you from being a musician to an artist to really pursuing this. I mean, was it was it your wife having an incident that really kind of sparked the interest with you to get on the radio and start asking more questions or Tell people the timeline for you and and how you even got up to pandemonium. Oh, well, well, it was, you know, after writing my first book, I've always been interested in the paranormal and I always, you know, paid attention to in search of when I was a kid and folklore was huge for me. I always loved folklore before I even knew what what folklore was. I was always asking about ghost stories and stuff when I was a kid and I always wanted to go to the places, you know, if someone said, this mill is haunted. There's a ghost there. Why? Well, I wanted to go to the, that mill. You know, I wanted to go there, see it. I didn't like the story wasn't enough. I always wanted to be at that place, uh, which I suppose I'm still doing now. Just you know, I, I run recorders when I do it. But the, the first book, you know, I wrote a lot about stuff, and I and I was writing a lot about local legends, and I found so much. I found so much, and uh, more Bigfoot stuff. Like I've always been interested in the Bigfoot phenomena and had no idea how much there was around me and that kind of got me fired up and I had this idea to do sort of an audio documentary and that's all I wanted to do I didn't mean to start a podcast really I wanted to take my first book and make a kind of audio documentary out of it and just give it to another podcast to air just I just wanted to make this thing and I bugged a couple of other podcasts and finally Soraya from Where Did the Road Go said, Tim, just just make your own podcast. <laughs> just just make your own thing. Just do it yourself. I'll help you. And he did. He helped me get started. He uh, gave me access to his audience. With, without Soraya, there would be no strange familiars. So that started that. And I, and I knew like, okay, I want to do, I want to go to places and, and run audio while I'm there. I know I want to do that. I want to do these on-site things. But the question is where to go, you know, because some of these places you just can't get access to and how to do it and so forth. And while all this is happening, and I, I think we did talk about this on your show last time I was on, it's, uh, this is when I was hiking and I found that area of uh, crushed quartz. It was, it was bright white quartz that looked like something had been sitting there and smashing it. And a few of the rocks were kind of stacked into like a little cairn. And I changed it. And this started a ongoing exchange of the, like changing these rocks around, which for months, I believe was a human doing it with me until one day it just became very obvious that it could, well, it could have been still a human, I guess, but they're very quick and ninja-like <laughs> if it was a person. Right. Uh, they had to have been watching me from the woods because I changed them and I left and was back within 15 or 20 minutes and a big leaf was under the rock, uh, the cairn I made. And uh, I know it wasn't there before hundred percent, you know, leaves don't fall under rocks. It's just not what they do. So, uh, you know, I was at that point, I became very, very interested and 
knew that I that something was going on, you know, that I was playing a game with something. And at this point, I probably, if you would ask me then at that point, I would have probably said, oh, it has to be Bigfoot. You know, now I'm a little more like, well, I don't know what it was. I know something's moving rocks around, but I don't know exactly what it was. And uh, so that really got me excited because now, well, it's kind of like what you have. We, we have this interchange going on. You get this feedback, you get feedback, you know, and it's right. something's replying to you. You're having an exchange of something. And that really fired me up. And from there, I just started to look for, you know, other places. And it's like you say with these, a lot of times it's these place names, you know, mm-hmm. if there's a reason why things are called, the, the things are called, uh, Pandemonium is a, a good example. Uh, Hex Hollow is a good example. I tracked sightings of weird stuff in Hex Hollow to long before it was ever called Hex Hollow. It's called Raymire Valley. There was a famous murder associated with it, the, the local uh, powwow tradition. It's kind of like a folk magic tradition. And a guy got murdered. They thought he was a witch in uh, 1928, I believe. And then it started, they called it Hex Hollow after that because it was just, they called it the Hex murder and so forth. But even before that murder ever took place, they were having weird sightings in that valley. So, you know, folklore plays a part in all this. I think folklore was the way of our ancestors had of discussing a lot of this paranormal stuff. They might've used different names, but if you look at it, boy, it seems like they're really describing (laughs) a lot of these same things. Yeah, I mean, let's. I want to go back to pandemonium because as I'm listening to this and I'm hearing pandemonium basically break out like a fever all around you, I'm like, oh my god, here we go. I mean, I just pictured like you know the old pioneers scratching their head as like their pickaxe this is a you know disappears and saying, oh, this other pandemonium, and you know these conversations that I don't know if that's why they named it that, but it seems though that this is why they name some of these places after more often than not, you know, kind of spooky names, not that pandemonium is necessarily spooky, but devil's Creek or, you know, devil's hollow or, you know, goblin shore, all these, you know, crazy names. Basically the white man came along and then settled them in and started making maps and naming, you know, stuff. So yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, it, but okay. So I'm just going to fire away. You, here you are, and I'm going to speak to this too here, investing time and effort into a podcast to look into these, we'll call them mystery schools, mm-hmm. mystery schools of thought. And there's not a lot of women out there doing this. I can maybe think of like five women doing paranormal podcasts that are doing it regularly, weekly, whatever. I don't know if there's way more than that. It seems like most of the time guys are interested in the subject. And I think it goes way deeper than the fact that they just maybe like mysteries or strange, creepy stuff. I think it gets into what you and I were speaking about via text about kind of being masters of their own domain. And your ego is, you know, served by this type of promise that you're going to understand things more than your brother and next to you and your neighbor. And it gets into kind of the Lord of the Rings theory, right? That the ring is this burden and the ring bearer has this burden, but these incredible powers here. And we talked about people that are kind of ring bearers right now that are, aren't so nice. And yeah. we, we used other words for that, but it really is true. And I think it's, it's something I'm always cautious about that this is not abnormal and I am not unique or special to have experienced it. I'm just maybe crazy and curious enough to talk about it. Right. What do you think? I, I think it's a great point. I, stepping back just to what you said about women, 
you know, I think this goes back into our history where, you know, women who did this stuff were always witches. You know, they were always said to be witches. I think they might, women might have a more of an intuitive understanding of it. Whereas, like you said, men are like, let's solve this. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? No, yeah, you're totally right. I think there's more of a label, a negative label based upon what you just said towards women. Yeah, and guys can get away with it more. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, like I said, maybe they have an intuitive understanding where we are more like, you know, like you said, let's try to figure this out. I do not try to own it. (laughs) It will own you if you try Mm -hmm. to own it. Certainly. We were talking about people becoming obsessed with it, you know, and it happens in spirit contact and other forms too. I personally, I'm at the place where, you know, I believe this is some sort of spirit contact that's going on. And again, I do believe Sasquatch is somehow involved in this. I don't know if, mm-hmm. I don't know if Sasquatch is a spirit entity. Sometimes I think it is. Sometimes I think it, it certainly acts like one in some ways. Uh, you know, like like as a big folklore guy, if you read mm-hmm. about what they call the earth whites in, in Germanic mythology, the behaviors and the responses I've experienced are, are a heck of a lot like what the folklore reports in those cases. But yeah, is it the same thing or just something similar? I, I don't know. I really don't know. But it is dangerous in a few different ways and it's you can become obsessed and i think another thing you said which is very important is that anyone can experience this stuff and i try to tell people that no one has superpowers <laughs> you can develop those skills yourself you know no no one has any kind of powers that you can't develop some people have practiced these skills and and developed them and refined them and some people are going to be better it's like you know it's like artwork some people are going to be or musicians. Some people are going to just going to be better artists and musicians, no matter how much you know other people practice. Some people just have a, a tendency or a skill towards those things. But I don't think anybody really has superpowers. I think this is there for everyone to access. It's not something that only we can do. You know, and I've seen this before, and I, I bet you have too. You know, there's people that have a definitive tone to them about who's in charge and what the message really means, and they're there to interpret it for you. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for a fee, but uh, you get the impression that there is no other way but their way to understand this. And uh, I've seen that happen. Um, I think you have to. Oh, yeah. That leads to, you know, misogyny usually and, and some kind of cult mentality, uh, however soft the cult is. Uh, but, you know, we went up to East Seti Ranch and we did our retreat a month ago and we ended up debunking some stuff from this incredibly hot spot of paranormal activity. Not that I wanted to do that, but, you know, because there's such group think about what's going on there, there's no way I could present that to all of the followers of the Isetti Ranch and what's going on in Mount Adams. I didn't want to do it. I just happened to, you know, feel that this is the most likely thing that has happened here. So, yeah, it just take that issue and kind of shrink it down into your own example. Like, you know, I, I think I see a, an airplane there and not a UFO, but this person worships UFOs. So therefore it is a freaking UFO. Mm-hmm. So you, you just kind of, you know, Ron Moorhead says it best that this is, and this, Wes Germer brought this up too on his show. And he, you know, 
Ron should be credited for this line. Here is how you get out of an argument with someone who is like what I described. You turn to him like Ron said, you know, you turn to him like Ron does and say, you could be right. You never know. And then just let it lie. It's not going to drive him crazy, but you know, you're not arguing with them. You're just giving them a polite way to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go another direction dealing with this. So that that's what I've done. It certainly helped out quite a bit. And then I'm always just trying to get clarity over an issue rather than agreement. I just want to be clear on what, you know, how someone feels, not necessarily agree with them and have them totally, you know, feel as though they understand how clear my point of view is and not necessarily agree or disagree with me. It's just all about really stating where you are in the moment. And uh, so that those are just some maybe helpful tricks for people that are struggling with this. And I, I still struggle with it too. In fact, even in the podcast I just put out, I, I think I went after uh, the, the apers uh, pretty hard because <laughs> I get fed up and that's, you know, that's probably a derogatory name to them, but people that believe that this is hard science, flesh and blood, you know, relic hominid, I see them as basically like the government hoodwinking the American people over the proof of UFOs. Here we are now with, na you know, naval disclosure uh, based upon what happened on the USS Nimitz and a whole lot more than that. And then they're just kind of softly saying, oh, yeah, we've been lying to you the whole time. We know they're out there, but we're in control of the, the message here. Well, the people in control of the message over Sasquatch remind me a lot of that mentality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I have to agree totally with that. So when you first started with this, did you were you approaching it as it's purely a flesh and blood entity? No, man. And it, it because the frame 352, when Patty turns and looks at the camera, mm -hmm. that was an alien to me, man. That did not look like anything that should <laughs> look at you with that kind of recognition that was inside the animal kingdom. That was inside the paranormal section of the library. You know, it was right next to time travel and, um, you know, UFOs that you find right. the, the Bigfoot book. So that was my early understanding. It's just like, well, you know, obviously these things uh, exist. That that can't be hoaxed footage. And But, you know, how many are there? How popular uh, is the actual phenomena? I, I had no idea about the numbers that were involved as far as how frequent sightings are. And uh, you don't have to live in the Pacific Northwest to, to have frequent sightings. What I think is important to talk about and what you and I maybe want to talk about too is working with people that know locations where the others come to visit more often than not. Now, in my case, it was learning that working with habituators or people that were long-term witnesses that had the backyard Bigfoot phenomena had the stories about the supernatural and the paranormal. Yep. And, but, and most of the time, they would talk about it. In fact, I had a Navy SEAL, you know, I've told this story before, maybe to my audience, but one of the first long-term witnesses I spoke to was on SEAL Team 2. His name's Earl Kelso. He lives up Blue River. I hope he's still with us. He's an awesome veteran. And he had disappearing foot track, uh, footprints in the snow. And he said, how to do that? And I I said, well, I, I, how would I know? But I've heard the story before, and that was that's a whole section uh, of supernatural paranormal stuff that happened on the Kelso property as well. But 
you know, he had no investment in uh, pulling one over me. He had the photographs in hand. He just wanted to know how the heck something evaded through, you know, two feet of snow and there's no sign of any tracks. So right. I, that that's where I think your bread and butter is to get involved with this is don't be a bullshit artist to get on the property of a long-term witness. And they know, first of all, and the Sasquatch, they definitely know an a-hole from a mile away and, and they sniff it out long before you get there. But see, you know, that's super interesting. I, I have heard that before. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying like, just, I I don't have a particular example, but people have told me like they will suss out intention. I have a buddy that went to a long-term witness and the long-term witness lived not too far from the Al Moon lab. And the witness said he had a portal in his backyard. Now I never got to meet this guy, but this dude of this friend of mine, this dude went up to this long-term witness and he got on his property and the guy met him at the gate and he he looked at the investigator, we'll call him, and uh, he said, are you real? That was his first question to this guy when he walked up to him. And, you know, he didn't know if he was like, well, are you hallucinating and not thinking I'm real? What, where do I go with a question like that? And the guy he says, no, no, no. I just want to know if you're authentic. Are you real? And that authenticity, that realness, I think, goes a long way and getting the kind of activity that you and I have had. Um, I think it explains why a lot of people that uh, experience the supernatural and the paranormal and don't have a necessarily negative experience with it, get closer to it, understand it better, and then have it kind of follow them. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very, very interesting. It's very It's just interesting that I've heard that from other people, you know, over time, like that, like they, they the others they they know your intention they know your intention and intention has become a very interesting part of all this i do believe it plays into it to the point where this was a question i was going to get to with you in a little bit but uh, we might as well get to it here is there a co-creative element to this as far as interacting with it as far as it needing us to be there to okay. to manifest in in some way yeah that's interesting uh i i think so you know the, the it's so tailor-made for the individual that you have to wonder why that's why it's in my opinion so hard to to prove to anybody is that when you have a tailor-made suit it yep. fits you you, mm-hmm. you know that you notice all the imperfection and perfections of the suit and that's what we're talking about here, these long-term witnesses have these tailor-made activities where it's not enough activity or proof or evidence to show your neighbor, but enough to tell them, hey, I'm still around, you bozo. Um, And so there does seem this longing to communicate. Now, (laughs) that's only because of the frequency that they've yearned to communicate on our behalf and it has to have something to do with where you live. I mean, this stuff doesn't seem to happen to, oh, I don't know. I mean, it it does happen in hotel rooms and it happens in, in businesses. It's not just confined to people that live out in the woods. But if we're just to narrow it down to the others being Sasquatch, I mean, obviously you're going to have more activity when you're 
in their backyard, which is where our backyards are out in the woods. But when it comes to the UFO phenomena, I mean, you listen to some of the stories that Whitley Strieber will tell. I mean, they, they, they take you and share experiences you with you in the middle of traffic. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a, a story that unfortunately I deleted accidentally off of my hard drive after I interviewed a guy that um, had missing time in the middle of LA traffic. And it went on and on down the rabbit hole there. Totally compelling story. But uh, yeah, middle of LA traffic, uh, him and his wife were taken. So does it confide itself to just one location? Does it does it need you to interact with it? Yeah, I think so. There's There seems to be like this invitation to understand and draw closer. The dangerous part of it is, is that you have to leave behind everything from this physical world in order to do it. Now, does that mean you off yourself? That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying you have to shed your worldly goods, your worldly experiences, and you have to really go <laughs> 24-7 because that's how they, they want it. Uh, they, the real hardcore supernatural experiences to really get close to it, you you have to kind of like lose everything in order to invest it. And I'm, I'm just not willing to do that. Some people have done that before, you know, that's certainly they're just authors that have spoken about that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's nothing that I've done, but I came close to toying with really going super down the rabbit hole. I mean, super deep. And I don't think it's worth doing for everybody. I, it may not be worth doing for any human. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Keel towards the end there was kind of warning people a little bit about that. I remember seeing an interview with him at, uh, I want to say it was one of the early Mothman festivals, one of the first, Mm -hmm. you know, one or two that he actually made it to before he died. And uh, someone was kind of asking him like, how do I like, you know, get in deep with this stuff? And he just was, why would you want to? (laughs) He was was very, very much backed off. He's just like, "I, I don't see why you would want to do that. Which, uh, you know, sometimes I can definitely see. I I feel like I've, there's a seduction to it, you know, that if you're interested in it at all, uh, you know, I had that synchronicity storm around the, the rabid raccoon attack, which I've, I've talked about on both of our shows, which really kind of pushed me back a little bit. It, it made me take a pause. And uh, just because of all the just the weird synchronicities and the number of synchronicities that surrounded it, and because my son was with me when it happened, uh, which I did not like at all, obviously, and uh, it really made me take a step back. And then, but I just find myself being like drawn back into it. Like, what is this? What is this? And then, when you can get these interchanges and these responses and so forth, it's just it's very very seductive. I find. Yeah, I've just learned to keep it light. Um, if I feel like it's not light anymore, chances are that it's probably my fault for making it a heavy, deep mm-hmm. moment. And I, it's it's always ego adrift, male ego adrift, when I feel myself getting too damn serious about this whole thing. So we try to keep it light. Here's an example of how we keep it light. <laughs> so I have a little music box. It's just a little bit of Wizard of Oz for everybody. And uh, we, we play a, a music box once in a while out in the woods here because it, it kind of sets the tone for the fact that it's silly to bring a music box out in the woods and, and play it. 
but it's kind of my reminder, you know, that I really don't have a brain in comparison to, to <laughs> what's going on with the phenomena here. And there's stronger, better, smarter people that invested a whole lot more time and money in this than I have. And I'm just going to scratch the surface of this veil. So yeah, and I have a great woman in my life and a great family in my life, and they keep me grounded. Now, granted, I say that, and these incredible things that have happened to both of us, myself, and Aaron, my girlfriend, it's hard to stay totally grounded, but you certainly have to debunk stuff. And that's the other thing I wanted to talk about, and maybe you can talk about that too, is you kind of expect the weird to happen, and you're looking for synchronicity because, darn it, there is synchronicity and this tailor-made phenomena with you, but it's not always, and you have to go back and you have to say, okay, I that's not what this is. I, I just have to publicly say, you know, I made a mistake. This is not what's going on and, uh, and own, own up to it. Now, in our case, I told you privately when we did this gift exchange of sorts, uh, you found a spring and you mentioned that you found a, a bed spring attached to a paracord. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't think I'd ever heard that until your podcast, but I went over the text messages again and you absolutely mentioned the fact that you found a, a bed spring attached attached to this piece of paracord. Now, I thought somehow, some way, I made this little tiny uh, bed spring out of a little piece of wire. And I'd, <laughs> I don't remember ever hearing you say that. But the fact is, is that I made this little spring and I thought somehow it was connected to the supernatural that I would do that out here in Washington State. So that's that's an example of bleed over, I think. You know, you don't know what you've heard subconsciously and what's affected you. So you have to, you know, be your own worst critic when it comes to this kind of stuff. I don't know if you have any examples of you jumping to conclusions. Well, I am, I suffer from ready to believe syndrome, I think. I think, <laughs> uh, so I need people like my wife around uh, yeah. to keep me grounded and to say, well, wait a minute, could it have been this? Could it have been that? She's heard the pandemonium story, for instance. And and to be clear, we were talking about the text message about the spring. That was after I was in pandemonium, but before you made the spring. So I wasn't talking about springs before I was in pandemonium. Well, I must have made that spring right after you said that because the jawbones had already disappeared. And we haven't even got into the fact that we have some disappearing jawbones, but we can talk about that soon. But yeah, I right. think I was subconsciously filtered in a message and then unconsciously made this little wire spring. Mm. See how weird all these conversations get? Yeah. I mean, it's, we, uh, it's so difficult. Yeah. It's so difficult to talk about because it's, it's not a straight line. This is not a linear line. This is a cobweb. And these little webs shoot off in every different direction. And you have to go, you know, you go down this path and you go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have to go back and go down this other path so you understand this path I started down before. It's, it's very difficult. Right to tell this stuff in a kind of linear way. But uh, no, so for instance, my wife with pandemonium, she, she will say, how do you think that person got up into your camp and did that? You know, she absolutely believes me when I say I found the spring there and so forth. But she's just, you know, to her, it, it had to be a person, like a person came up into our campsite that night. You know, whereas me, I'm like, I don't know what it was. And I don't think it could have been a person if it was a person, they're very, very brave. But you know, I can't say it wasn't. I wasn't awake. I didn't see whatever put that spring there. 
So, you know, it's good to have people like Allison around me. So I think to kind of throw that other perspective in there on a consistent basis. Yeah, it, it's it's a bummer sometimes. <laughs> when you, I mean, sometimes it's just a bummer because it's so tailor made, and you know these moments. You, you were there when it happened. You experienced how quiet it was until that moment. You know how difficult it would be for someone to do that, and how brave uh, you said brave. Uh, I believe they'd have to be brave as well to do something like that. It's the consistency of not only the type of gifts. But for example, we were talking about mylar balloons. Yeah. You, so you had mentioned that you've found a mylar balloon in the woods and maybe you found more than one mylar balloon in the same area and asked me if that's a thing. And I said, absolutely. Uh, there's an area less than 80 miles from here where it's a total Bigfoot hotspot and there is a nest of mylar balloons that show up consistently below the 10-foot level through a thick tree canopy of dug firs. Now, why would a consistent amount of mylar balloons all show up in the same area of dense canopy near the Mount Rainier Forest? And not only there in a Bigfoot hotspot, but all over the world. And not only mylar balloons, but things that are shiny, toys yeah. and trinkets. Uh, you watch uh, David Polite's uh, Missing 411 movie, the first one, and they find a Rubik's Cube where a child disappeared. That Rubik's Cube, I don't think, was there when the search party went there. There's, there's this consistency of objects and things that are interesting showing up in hot spots where the others are. And I think you're absolutely right. But if you told somebody you found a mylar balloon, they'd be like, well, they got to land somewhere, dude. I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> right? Well, that's when, and this is on Pandemonium 3, which is a, 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 a patron episode, but you can hear Chad. I stop him and I say, wait a minute. Is that a mylar balloon? And he goes, yeah, why? You know, because he's, he's new to all this stuff. You know, he hasn't read all the literature and so forth. I say to him, take a picture of that. I'll tell you in a minute. And you know, he takes a photograph of it. And then I go into this like, hey, I know this sounds batty, but, you know, Bigfoot people are saying they find these mylar balloons around in these hot spots. And here's a mylar balloon in the woods. I believe this was, this was at the base of a tree. You know, yeah, could it have blown there or, or in some way gotten there? Yeah, it could have. But where it showed up is certainly interesting. Uh, we had a mylar balloon in the house that I got for Erin for, I believe, her birthday. And um, it had lost its helium, and it was time to get rid of this giant heart balloon, I think it was, something to that effect. And she threw it away. And um, a couple days later, I think it was less than a week, we go on a walk on our property. And for some reason, I had this thought in my head look for a mylar balloon out here. And so, so I'm uncomfortable saying that that was, well, uncomfortable, is that the right word? No, it's, it's not the right word. I guess I doubted the fact that that was anything other than my imagination saying, hey, look for a mylar balloon. I don't know what it was except my imagination. But I had that thought and Aaron turns around and says, oh my God, is that a mylar balloon? Huh. And it's, it's hanging off of a, a tree below a you know, thick canopy about, 15 feet off of one of our trails. And it is uh, a balloon that hasn't been cut 
or ripped through the tree canopy. And then it had some kind of congratulatory happy birthday message on it. <laughs> and there it was. So, you know, it's those kind of moments uh, where you scratch your head and say, what the heck? But I would never even think to think this way had it not been all of the other complete craziness that happened in Cottage Grove, Oregon and happens up here. Right, so right. Once, once it happens, it's hard to filter out what's legitimate and what's not legitimate. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you the story about the psychic and me and the Bigfoot energy and the acorns? Did I tell you that no, story? No, no. Uh, this is, a, I've told it on Strange Familiars, but I, your audience may enjoy this. I went, I was invited to a, uh, there's a local ghost hunting group and they invited me to come out. They were researching the cemetery. Now this cemetery is in the middle of a town. This is not a rural area in any way. It's a, in the middle of a busy part of town. And uh, I, they wanted me to give a little talk and I just gave a little talk and then uh, they were, I was signing books and stuff. And then at some point the main guy from the group came up to me and said, Hey, our psychics out back and he's doing a session out there. If, if you want to go, you know, observe that I'll watch your books for you. I was like, yeah, that, that sounds interesting. I'll go do that. He's out there and he's uh, he was sitting on a grave kind of meditating and he was, he was channeling, you know, something and I'm nothing if not a, a, a little mischievous, maybe, but not, I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm negative, but I was like, I'm, I'm willing to play around with this stuff. So I thought, like, I wonder what happens. If, yeah, I'm going to stand here and I'm just going to concentrate all my energy on, on manifesting a Bigfoot. And maybe I'll get a scream. Maybe we'll get something. You know, let's see what happens. Let's, you know, let's just play with this and see what happens. And I, so he's sitting there meditating and I'm just standing there, just concentrating all my energy, just, just, you know, just trying to like summon a Bigfoot essentially. And after a few minutes, he opens his eyes and he looks right at me. So I was standing off to the side, you know, maybe 20 yards from him. He turned, he opens his eyes, he turns, looks right at me and he says, your aura right now is absolutely huge. <laughs> so, so this is after I'm trying to manifest the, you know, right, right. right. The, the Bigfoot energy. So then, you know, we're talking a little bit and he, he was doing like some Reiki on a woman and stuff. And we're, we're just having a nice conversation. And there was this clump of leaves that, that was there and something said, and again, it, it's, it's not like I heard a voice, but something told me there's something under those leaves for you, you know, so you need to pick that up and look. So I picked it up and I'm, I'm looking around and now it's getting pretty dark. So I'm, I'm kind of like digging around. I think I had my cell phone light. I was using to kind of look under there and the psychic walks up. He's like, it's like, what is, what is that? What are you doing? I said, I don't know. I just, there's something here. There's something here. And I picked up a little acorn. Okay. Not, you know, an acorn on the ground, big deal. But we were done out there and we turned and walked and there's a, there's a house on the cemetery grounds. And I walked directly from finding that acorn. I put it in my pocket I walked around the corner and into the kitchen of this house. And the psychic is right behind me. And on the kitchen floor inside the house is a huge acorn <laughs> just sitting there. I bent over, I picked it up, I turned around and his eyes got so big. I said, See that I said, I said, I don't know. I don't know what that's about, but you know, it's the acorn inside the house. <laughs> there's something about acorns because there is a moment here that I related to you about a magic acorn as well. And if you look at some of these, you know, other 
uh, gods in particular, the I believe it's Cernunus, uh, an acorn is present on this god in between his crown. That's a whole other story. It, it's probably too long to tell here right now, but there's something about acorns. I don't know what it is. I We would get filberts or hazelnuts down in Cottage Grove set in weird spots, but up here, it's magic acorns periodically. Well, only on one occasion, but uh, yeah, I, I sympathize with that moment. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> one, it was just completely bizarre, and I was so happy the psychic was walking right behind me because I just picked it up and I just said, "This is like this kind of stuff happens." I don't know. I don't. He's, he's like, you know, because he's like, "What's that about?" I'm like, "I don't know what it's about." I just, you know. There, there was, you know, your your acorn moment after, but I, I got a big kick out of him just opening yeah. his eyes and saying, "Your aura is huge right now." I was like, "That's fantastic." Now, was the acorn set in the middle of the floor? Was it set on the threshold of a doorway? How was it? How Dead was it in the middle of the kitchen floor. Yeah, it was no missing it. It was no missing it, and it was a huge one. The one I found outside was little, and this one was like like quite a large acorn. It was there was no missing it. And that kind of smacks of uh, just as far as like this uh, weird behavior of stacking things in order or kind of putting them in weird, obvious places is, you know, tantamount to poltergeist activity where they would, you know, stack chairs up in a neat row or Mm -hmm. um, Sasquatch has that, if we're calling this Sasquatch activity, not necessarily, but you know, if you watch any show on Bigfoot long term, for example, Finding Bigfoot, they would go to these eyewitnesses place and they would describe things like chicken heads all stacked in a row or, uh, you know, seven mice all wrapped up in leaves and uh, set on people's doorsteps all in a row or putting things right dead center in the middle of a doorway. So poltergeist meets Bigfoot meets all this other stuff. There seems to be a real attention to detail, and that gets into, oh, what's his name? The guy that wrote the autism theory. Chris yeah, Chris I was just going to bring him up. Uh, yeah. Chris, Chris Noel. Christopher Noel. No, Noel or yeah. Noel? Yeah. Yeah, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and he speaks of such things. But um, that, that's what we're familiar with is this real attention to detail to say, oh, it's, this is the middle of the doorway exactly, and they can't miss this, you know. Right. So. Well, in your last episode, you described that silly putty egg that was buried. Mm-hmm. And then every stone. So th- here's the two options. Either something unburied it and placed every stone back in exactly. the exact exactly. position it, it was in. Yeah. Or something reached through the ground and left a fingerprint. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's crazy. Like, right? It gets so, into magic and quantum physics science meets magic real quick that's Mm -hmm. why if you ever get a chance to interview henry franzoni uh, who's this native american environmental scientist from washington who really was my first mentor in understanding that there was magic involved with this phenomena he talks about the you know the idea that when these things manifest they're in a certain vibrational state and they're able to reach through matter that's what explains a lot of these pops cracks hits uh, we would get those constantly, and I spoke about that in that last episode. Some of them are subtle, some of them are big. I don't know if wood knocks are necessarily monkeys, monkey men hitting trees right. with wood. They're, set, they're definitely the sound of wood expanding and popping. But, for example, in one of the audio files that we're going to play tonight, uh, it's the fence stomp crack one, there is no prelude to this 
these giant footsteps coming up to the parabolic microphone. The only prelude to it is this pop. Mm-hmm. And out of this pop erupt a single bounding footstep and a vocal. And then it fades off naturally into the distance. But we would get that time and time again. We get this at the house, right? Like five minutes, maybe even three minutes before I wake up sometime, before my alarm goes off at three in the morning or four in the morning, we'll get a pop or a snap or what some people would call a slap on the house. And it's the weird timing of it all. Like it knows that my alarm is going to go off, right? And and it, and it's going to pop through uh, or slap the house beforehand. That's why when you say, you know, this is a cobweb instead of a straight line, it just, that's such a perfect way to put it. And um, we have to, what I always told my audience at Strange Brow is that to really understand the weirdness of it all, you have to forget what you've learned about time. And you have to reorganize the fact that these events have already happened in their world and they're appreciating it totally different. And that gets into Ron Moorhead's neck of the woods and Aquani Laparitis and, and all these other forefathers of, of understanding the, the paranormal Sasquatch phenomena. But it's hard to communicate these ideas to people that are out looking for a giant, you know, silverback gorilla. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other point that I think is, is very important that you point out, and I've pointed this out before, it wasn't an original concept to me. I think I heard Wes say it and picked up on it as absolutely true when I heard him say it, is if and when someone is, they're a hunter and they see one walk by them in the woods and they're driving down the street and they're, they get a roadside crossing or something. Mm-hmm. I do not blame these these people for us for a second for thinking it's just a natural animal because to them, that's all they saw. They saw something physical and solid walk by them or standing by the side of the road or whatever it was. But as you pointed out, when you get people with these repeat visits, they're coming on their property, they have an opportunity to be around them on a regular basis, then you, I don't, I don't want to say always, but then you very often get this other weird phenomenon with it to the point where when I, when I talk to witnesses like that, they're surprised that I'm not surprised when they say, oh, my house is haunted also. Yeah, right. of course it is. Yeah, that goes right along with it. Absolutely, you know. Oh, but oh yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. It's these repeat witnesses that will bring up the weird stuff and say, like, yeah, this other weird stuff is happening. You know, I'm seeing these weird lights all the time. I'm seeing this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's a very, very important point because, like I said, if it's just a hunter in the woods who sees one walk by, I don't blame them for thinking they're they're natural. I don't blame them for a second. But right. uh, you, you know, so much of the other stories point to there being something more or something different about them. I'm trying to find the clip here. There's an interview I did. I spoke earlier about Earl Kelso and the disappearing tracks in the snow. I got access to a place in Vida, Oregon, and I met the neighbors. I asked the neighbors whether or not they knew Earl, and they said, no, we don't. They're about five houses down from him. There was a highway in front of their house and a large mountain that led to the Cascade Mountains behind them. And I spoke to, uh, well, the story is going a little bit backwards right now. I actually met Earl first, or I'm sorry, I met these witnesses first and then met Earl afterwards. So I introduced myself to Earl because 
of this woman named Mary and Chad. And they had Bigfoot activity. And that's why I went and introduced myself to Earl to see if I could get access to the mountain. So Mary and Chad were long-term witnesses and they would have activity in the back of uh, their house on the hillside there. And Chad liked to smoke a lot of weed and drink a lot of booze and raise pit bulls. And um, it was driving him nuts, but he's this big, you know, alpha male that's not going to take no S from anybody. Meanwhile, the pit bulls are cowering in their cages when the sun goes down and Chad starts popping off shots towards something racing back and forth in the woods. And Mary is a long-term witness as a child. So she knows this phenomenon exists. She had her sighting on the coast in Oregon. She actually saw one pleasure himself in the woods. So she was quite traumatized by that experience. Now, I mention that because it makes the story way more compelling that a husband and wife would approach you at a pizza parlor and know what you're doing at this pizza parlor, in my case, having a Bigfoot meeting, and then in a straight face, tell me this story that she saw a Sasquatch as a little girl pleasuring himself. And the reason she told me that is because she had a house full of kids and she didn't want them to ever see anything that crazy. Here they have Bigfoot activity, right? Right, mm-hmm. right down the street from this pizza parlor. The reason I mention this is because Mary pulled me aside and said, I have lights coming into my bedroom at night. And I said, okay, what kind of lights, Mary? And she's like, well, they're little white lights that they go through the window. They don't need the window to be open. They go through the wall. They fly around our house. And then I'll look out the window and I'll see a Sasquatch sitting kind of Indian style, watching up at the bay window where the kids sleep. So she's completely freaked out by the fact that, uh, you know, her kids are going to see a Bigfoot do the unthinkable. Right. Uh, And this is where, I think this is probably 2010, 2009. And this is really where the rails went off as far as the supernatural. When I really first experienced it was out at Mary and Chad's house. And we saw this giant organic light display happen up in the, uh, well, it was an old helo pad that went defunct up in the woods there that we had access to. So we stayed up all night, waited for sign to happen. And I knew that there was sign up on the hill. I knew that these people weren't telling me BS because I had my own share of experiences on my way up to to the campsite over a period of months. My tent was stuck up in a tree. It was moved 35 feet from where I'd put it on the helipad and put uh, about eight feet up and 30 feet away in a tree about a half hour after I put it there. (laughs) And then um, we're sitting at the top of this hillside at 1130 at night watching the Cascade and McKenzie River and the full moon. And uh, we see this 50 foot, at least this 50 foot arc welder light explode about 200 feet in front of us in front of the tree line and stair step through the woods and each time it exploded without a sound it was this piercing white angelic light that you could look straight into and it was just absolutely amazing one of the most beautiful things i'd ever seen at that point and that is when things really i started to pay attention more that these things are possible and I forget where I was going with this whole thing, but it, it points to the fact that long-term witnesses, if you can get access to someone that has activity and befriend them in an authentic way and learn from them instead of going in saying, well, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on here. 
it's just not the right approach for meeting anybody over any issue. Chances right. are that they know a whole lot more than you because they're living with it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me too how they tiptoe up to it because, you know, if I'm called, so I'm called there, say, because I'm the Bigfoot guy. I'm the local guy for Bigfoot, right? So they they call, they might contact Lon from Phantoms and Monsters, and he like he'll he'll have me go out and investigate, or they might find me because of my books, or for, however they find me, they find me and say, you know, I saw Bigfoot, I want to talk to you about it, or you know, I, I go out and I meet them on their property. And they ease up to the weird stuff because I don't know whether I don't think most people have allowed themselves to think it's more than than a natural animal, even though there's all this other weird stuff going on. They don't connect it. In other words, it will they will tell all the Bigfoot stories that sound like, you know, make it sound like it's a natural animal. And then they'll get to the weird lights or they'll get to the haunting or very rarely will I have to say so is your house haunted or is there, is there, do you see weird lights or anything like that? Every now and then I'll say that. And almost always the answer is yes. Almost always. If it's a repeat witness one recently, again, she, and, and she was talking like, you know, again, like they're, they're natural creatures and where do they live? And, you know, where they must be staying in this part of the woods and they must be eating this and eating that. And I'm just, okay. You know, like I'm, I'm not arguing with her or anything. I'm just, you know, tell me your stories. And then uh, towards the end of the day, I said, so what else happens? You get, you get weird lights around here? Oh, yeah, 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 we get weird lights. And I said, uh, any haunted houses? And she said, well, my house is haunted. And then her neighbor, who was talking to me all day about Bigfoot stuff, he'd had several encounters. He's like, oh, yeah, my house is haunted, too. And it's just, of course, of course, you know, <laughs> of course. I don't tell them. You know, I, sometimes I tell them I think it's all related, and that's about as far as I'll go. I don't tell them I think it's completely connected, you know, which is the, the point where I am now. But uh, I do say, well, you know, I think all this stuff is, is somehow related. But uh, again and again, I run into this, and it, it's not surprising. It's always interesting. It's always exciting, but it's, it's not surprising anymore. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the weird light stories. Well, don't you think it's going to take a big name in uh, the community to really – talk about their own personal experience. I mean, we need someone who has a lot of camera time, who's, you know, in all the speaker circuits to finally give a presentation on the connective tissue of all this stuff. And that just hasn't happened yet because somehow, some way they feel as though they're talking about something way less weird than that. But as a reminder to the general public, you, you know, these people are chasing fairy tales and they might as well be out looking for well it's hard for me to say anything <laughs> isn't real anymore i almost said looking for leprechauns but now i'm like well you know there are these uh, yeah. stories about little people so yeah. it might might turn out to eat some crow on that one but yeah i i just think that it's going to take one of these bigger names to talk about something publicly like at you know one of these conferences certainly the ufo people are way Way And this is something Tom Powell mentioned, um, and if you haven't had Tom on your show or advertised any of Tom's work, um, Tom Powell's been talking about this for years, that groups like MUFON are light years away from us as far as organization and being able to talk about these, these other phenomena, 
phenomena is being connected. Whitley Strieber talked about uh, ghosts being connected to the UFO phenomena. Uh, Linda Moulton Howe talks about Bigfoot being connected to the UFO phenomena. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch, George Knapp, all this stuff with Jeremy Corbell doing the documentary about Skinwalker Ranch. They talk specifically about government funding, you know, over $20 million being siphoned to uh, Bigelow Industries and studying the Skinwalker Ranch. And there's a tremendous amount of evidence that they had exactly what's going on at that ranch on larger doses than we did. But, you know, we would call the Al Moon Lab a skin twin because so much of the activity mimicked what they were able to study. I mean, they were able to study it in a, in a way that, that very few people are able to study it because they threw so much money and time at it. But you don't get, you know, Harry Reid to siphon $22 million towards something unless he's connected to something authentic. Uh, and a lot of reasons that program was, I guess, halted in some degree, was based upon, and if you watch the Skinwalker Ranch documentary, and George Knapp talks about this, is that there were religious elements within the Pentagon that said that what people were investigating was demonic, and that um, they didn't want that money allocated towards the devil's work, something to that degree. Now, they could be right. I, I, who am I to say? You know, this could be a giant cat and mouse game, right? I, I tend to think not, uh, because my life has reaped only benefits, and I'm more happy now than I've ever been because I'm doing exactly what I love. And uh, you and I spoke about that too. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. I. Um... I feel like I didn't find myself till I was in my thirties, quite honestly, you know, I had uh, some of that's completely, you know, normal run of the mill family issues and stuff that uh, maybe not normal, but, but uh, normal within the scope of, you know, not paranormal stuff. And uh, some of it is just, uh, you know, finding a sort of home, you know, for myself and, and where I want to be and, and what I want to do. And being very comfortable with this stuff. I'm very comfortable about talking about this stuff to the point where I'll I'll walk up to strangers sometimes and just, you know, if if I'm meeting somebody on a trail, say for instance, and and we get to talking, it won't be long before I'll I'll mention that I'm into weird stuff and ask them if they've experienced anything strange. You know, so it's you know, I've found I found my home, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Well it's uh it's nice to have someone that has something in common with me and not feel either threatened by, you know, the, the kind of information that I'm presenting and vice versa. I'm not threatened by this at all, but there's a lot of people that are threatened by what you and I are talking about. And the best way to deal with it is to just absolutely go silent on it and not acknowledge its existence. And I, I get that to a degree, but we live in a, a new time now where disclosure is present. We no longer get the X-Files music <laughs> when a, you know, a, a UFO segment comes up on the nightly lose. Uh, generally, that was the case before, but now I think this Area 51 event actually is going to be a, a yearly thing uh, out in, uh, in Nevada, and I think that's probably going to turn into more and more transparency. I don't know if you saw the footage of people actually walking up to the Area 51 gate with local law enforcement and Area 51 employees waiting with smiles on their face for the public to come up 
like they they've been waiting years you know <laughs> to be able to talk about this in some degree and people want to share ideas that's that's our natural way to do it it's not not compartmentalizing things like the government does and you can see how frustrated uh, bob lazar is regarding area 51 he talks about how he thinks uh, constantly to this day about still being at S4, looking at back engineering technology from alien craft and how frustrating it is to no longer be a part of it. Uh, but he went on to say that it was the compartmentalization of not being able to work with other people and exchange ideas about what's going on there and how much of a crime it is to keep this uh, you know, away from humanity. And I feel that. I think it is a crime to humanity. I think we deserve to know exactly what's going on here without the the algorithms pointing to social collapse. What's your thoughts? My thought is part of the... I'm not even sure how to phrase it. Part, part of the government's deal with this, part of their muddying the waters constantly is because I truly believe they don't have all the answers. I don't believe there's a magical security clearance that you get and then you know everything. I don't believe that at all. I believe they're very curious in this stu- in, into the phenomenon in general. And they would like us to believe they know a lot more than we do. And the reality may be that they know different things than we do, but not more. And I don't think they have all the answers. That's just my gut feeling. My, my gut feeling is I don't trust the government and I don't, I don't trust them to ever disclose anything, but it's not because they have the answers and won't. It's because they need us to think that they have the answers. It's beneficial for them to always have the populace thinking that the government knows everything. We're safe. They know. They know what's going on. It's not beneficial for them to come out and say, we don't know what Bigfoot is. We, we will admit it exists. We have researched it. We, we don't know what UFOs are. We'll admit they exist. We have no clue, although apparently they did that with that Tic Tac video. <laughs> but I think, right, right. I think overall, I think the, the general uh, push has been, we'll let everyone think that we know all the answers so they're not panicked. Because part of the worry is if they say, we don't know, and then people start going, well, if you don't know who does and maybe there's more to life than you know everything here maybe maybe and not to get political i don't want to get too political but maybe people start saying mm, the system really doesn't work for me <laughs> you know and there's deeper deeper issues there um again i've purposefully avoided politics on strange familiars because i know i'm just going to anger you know at least 50 percent of my audience <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to do that yeah yeah well there's different levels of transparency. Ours is one version of transparency now before it was mocked, made fun of, and now there's uh, maybe a light at the end of the tunnel here somewhat with what's going on with the the Nimitz and the Tic Tac UFO. Yeah, and, 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 and also, and, I, I hope like I'm wrong with all this. It'd be awesome to get some answers. It'd be awesome to get like some form of disclosure. That would be disclosure. Mm-hmm. Rather. That would be amazing. That'd be great. You know, uh, it's just like I say, if at some point someone rolls a Bigfoot body into a lab, I'm willing to, at that point, eat crow and say, I guess I was wrong about all this weird stuff, guys. I guess it's just an animal. But I'm not holding my breath for that. Yeah, man, I don't know. I I feel uh, so content with my working theory and experiences 
that that will never happen that yeah. it brings it brings me joy for the fact that the mystery wants to keep itself and has the power to do it and i mm-hmm. think that the the ufo phenomena and the afterlife phenomena has the power to do it because they understand time differently but i i will take issue with the fact that what you said earlier that nobody really knows what's going on i think there probably are some uh really talented magicians out there masquerading as you know ceos or you know uh, this elusive one percent that are incredibly close to this phenomenon now do they have to do certain biddings in order to alter their consciousness to experience these things and and draw close to them uh, i think so i think they go through tremendous links to find out how all this stuff works and you know, as you start looking into, again, Tolkien and um, some of the things that he, he wrote about in, in not only Lord of the Rings, but uh, the rest of the trilogy there, there's so much within just that fairy tale that smacks true of the human condition approaching this stuff here. And it talks about these grand wizards that, that know these secret things and they share information. I think that that it works that way to some level um as unbelievable as that may sound look how unbelievable the act of it is already that it exists so i don't know i i i guess i'm more conspiratorial when it comes to that but um as far as naming names who's ever going to be able to do that so yeah i don't know i'm going to say something regarding your theory and i'm not i I don't mean this in a silly way you could be right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i love that i love that yes well done well done all right <laughs> no i mean but i mean that quite literally you you yeah. could be right I, I absolutely i'm not right. being dismissive in any way well um, and i i mean i know people that get so deep down the rabbit hole with conspiracies and theories on what really is going on behind the curtain you know and they're no longer happy because everything has an angle to it and it's a dark angle because if you feel like you're constantly being slighted by a puppet master and this is like this whole theory that we're somehow part of this uh program this matrix that we're living in a in a program basically like um, Mm -hmm. elon musk says i think that's a really dark way to look at life oh yeah yeah i i've i heard you say that you don't want to know your future well that's a form of having your future already dictated to you by this puppet master I don't want to live that way. You know, if it came, well, maybe this is a, a, we'll throw this question out here. What if you were given the opportunity and you didn't have a family, there was really nothing that you'd have to leave behind to actually know the deepest secrets of the universe? Would you do it? Wow. I mean, it gets into the red pill, the blue pill. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, could your mind take it? Right. Well, yeah. If like, if I knew it was the last day of my life, you know what I mean? Like if I'm on my deathbed, I knew it was the last day of my life. Give me the pill. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If I have more life left to live. No, no. Because I think, I think you might go insane. You might be right about that. And we see this within individuals involved at looking into these mysteries, these mystery schools. Some of them literally go insane. Mm -hmm. Um, I, they they're found wandering in hotel rooms with you know uh toilet paper boxes on their feet and we we have to look at history to appreciate the fact that they 
had approached this uh, as carefully as possible in some ways and yet they still got too too close to the ring and so i don't know yeah yeah that's it's you know it happens like you're saying kind of in the the bigfoot world it happens in the occult world uh, there's not a lot of happy stories in the occult world. And I, I know, you know, a lot of my friends are very, very involved and in, in very deep into modern Western occultism. And uh, it's just not littered with happy stories. If you look at, you know, Aleister Crowley, uh, you know, he died poor and not in a great condition. Austin Spare, who's arguably the most accomplished occultist, he was, you know, by all accounts, absolutely the real deal through and through. He died completely penniless and lived in squalor. You know, it, it's just this stuff can go sideways. You know, it can go sideways on you, and that's what that's what I always kind of warn people. Like, yeah, it can go sideways. And I know some people who pretty much declared themselves, you know, master wizards, and they had figured it all out, and they were going to game this system and that system to their benefit using magic, and it, it all went sideways on them. It can go sideways, you know, and, and there's usually right. reasons why. And like you said, it's usually ego involved with it. When when I talk about the dark stuff that happened to me in Hex Hollow with the raccoon and all that, I know I broke the rules. Like the rules are explicit in folklore and what to do. I asked for something. I didn't take it. I, I really, I hurt somebody's feelings, essentially. Mm-hmm. I hurt the other's feelings. I, I specifically asked for something. I was giving something within 10 minutes of asking for it. In this case, I asked for a skull. It was the head of a groundhog that was freshly decapitated, and I, it was kind of gross. I didn't want to take it, and that's I broke the rules. I asked for something, I didn't take it. Right. I, I completely ignored it, and I got a, quite honestly, I got a little freaked out by it. And uh, that is a no-no in folklore. That's a no-no, and uh, that's I broke the rules. So that's me. I did that. I don't read that as the phenomenon turning on me. I read that as me breaking the rules. Like that was my mistake. I made a mistake and I, I got mm-hmm. my butt smacked for it, you know. But did you ever hear the interview I did with Mark Henyon, the Satanist? I don't know if you I did not. That. Okay. No. So I had the chance to sit down with a college professor from the University of Oregon named Mark Henyon. And him and his son met me at a pizza parlor. And people have a chance to go back and re-listen to that one might help them understand this a little bit, but here you have a highly educated guy who's invested um, his philosophy into the philosophy of the Church of Satan. And he knows exactly why he's a Satanist. He knows exactly what a real Satanist is and what they're not. What makes Mark different and an outcast to the Church of Satan is the fact that he believes in a creator. And that's not okay when when you're Satanist, which is pretty weird, right? Because you would think that they would believe in the negative in their opinion, right? Which would be a creator, the light. Um, but that's not the way Satanism works. And if you look at, at this episode, you'll hear his point of view. There, there came a point where Mark went out into a cornfield to cast a spell or to do some kind of incantation work. And in their opinion, they were going to do a noble spell. They're going to bring forth something that was to benefit not just them, but to benefit, you know, the world. Instead, they had something uh, completely horrific happen to them and approach them through the cornfield. And it scared Mark so bad that he was tricked that he had to rethink the fact that maybe he's being hoodwinked in other ways 
you know, throughout his philosophy. So mm-hmm. you could see the point of transition of where ego was there. Then he got his butt smacked and he's like, okay, I don't think I broke any rules, but yet I opened a doorway here and I don't know exactly what's passing through this doorway here. So it's it's a fascinating interview. It's It's one of the hardest ones I've ever done because I don't know if you've ever sat down with someone who's just miles above you intellectually and uh, it's just, you know, their IQ is just flying right out the window compared to you. That scared me. Uh, the fact <laughs> I wouldn't be able to keep up with the guy. And, um, but it's, it's incredibly uncomfortable for the audience to hear about somebody that uh, invest their intellect, their, their vast intellect into a counter philosophy that is perceived to be completely dark, but it's worth listening to because I think it kind of changes your perspective on who people are and how they change and where they come from and how they get there. And uh, you don't have to sell out your intellect to invest in the supernatural, I guess is the point. Uh, it's you, you were brought up, I believe, Catholic, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I was brought up Protestant and, uh, you know, within those two religions, there is the discipline of uh, apologetics. You're defending, mm-hmm. you're defending the faith, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, not apologizing to anybody, but you've learned basically to intellectualize the fact that there is a creator and you can defend your faith through this discipline of apologetics. Uh, Ravi Zacharias was a guy that I looked up to at the time that was tremendous at defending the faith of Protestantism. And... So the point is, is that you, if you invest your time towards your worldview and you focus all your time and energy and you absolutely believe what you believe to be really real and you can do that and live happily, um, then I think that you've kind of found your own personal answer. That to me wasn't my overall answer was investing in one particular spiritual point of view. There seems to be all this other cobweb stuff going on and I've intellectualized. I don't want to say I've evolved because I'm sick of people saying they've constantly evolved, (laughs) but I feel like I've intellectualized myself turning a corner and saying, okay, there's more to this. Things are way more complex and I still don't have to sell out, you know, my intellect to appreciate it. I think some of the world thinks that you and I have bypassed evidence and uh, proof because we've gotten lazy and said, well, just because it's weird, just because it doesn't have an explanation, we, we have called it a ghost. That's not what we're saying here. We've, we've walked away with a fair amount of physical proof, you know, beyond just the stories here. And I don't know if you can speak to that at all. Well, I'm, very careful about what I say it is, you know, for me specifically, unless I saw a big hairy thing turning that spring onto that paracord in our campsite, I wasn't going to say it's Bigfoot. I, I say something came in and I said, I heard wood knocks, but you know, before we found it and I recorded wood knocks before we found it, this is like other Bigfoot activity, but I'm, I'm not going to say it's Bigfoot. I don't know what it was, you know, but it was there, you know, it was very much there. I I have trouble arguing with skeptics anymore because if you're going to say, I can't tell you it wasn't people. If if you want to tell me that was people that did that, I can't prove it wasn't. You know, I, I, I don't have film 
which is something we should talk about also about how <laughs> if I would have set up cameras, I don't think that spring would have been there. Um, but uh, I don't know how to talk to people about this who haven't experienced it in some way. I'm willing to talk to anybody, you know what I mean? But if they're not willing to accept my word, that, that no, you have to understand those rocks changed in 15 minutes, you know, from the time I left and the time I was there and there was nobody else in the park. If you're not willing to accept my word on that, I can't talk to you about it because it's not going to let us get the film proof. I don't think it's going to, it's whatever this is, it's not going to let us do that. So I can't show it to you on camera. I can't show you those rocks changing on camera. I can't show you that spring being twisted in on camera. I can only tell you it happened. I can play you audio around it <laughs> for some reason. For some <laughs> reason, I can play you audio, but I can't show you video. And it's almost as if, I don't want to say you have to have it happen because a lot of people don't have it happen and they are open to it and they, you know, they do experience it through our stories, you know, whether we're telling them on, on our podcasts or, or in our books and they trust that we are documenting it in the best way that we can, I think. But if someone's just going to be a hard skeptic on it, I don't know how to talk to them sometimes. I don't know how to prove to you that something very, very strange went on, that a storm of coincidences is more than, right. than a storm right. of coincidences. You know? And why do they get to set the bar about how this is? I mean, why, why are they the gatekeepers? We're the gatekeepers to the truth. That's, that's the part that's really interesting is that uh, we're closer and we're uh, more you know, deep towards the answer here than they are because we're not denying anything they they've constantly denied this for you know forever as far as i'm concerned and it, it, why is film the bar to right. be set as the ultimate bit of proof to the look at they're doing now a deep fakes i mean if you haven't seen the what they're doing with face manipulation i think there's a new movie coming out with robert de niro where they put Robert De Niro back at the age of like 35 and you can't tell the difference uh, mm -hmm. between, you know, Robert De Niro now and age 35. So digital manipulation is there. But the fact is, is that if you think, and I still toy with this man, I mean, I still toy with the fact that, oh, I, if I could get some really good, you know, audio or FLIR footage of a Bigfoot, that might change the game. I still toy with it because it'd be so cool to have that part of the whole photo family album of this mystery and that's that's how i honestly try to look at it but the ego is a funny thing man it sneaks in and this is a giant scavenger hunt and people are cutting people's throats to you know to get <laughs> to the end of the race before anybody else and um, i still find myself flirting with with ego uh, as it pertains to to winding up with something cool even the most you know ardent earthy woo-woo flute playing person out there that obsesses over the fact that these are forest people and obsesses over the fact that they know the answers you know heart and love and light they still deal with it all the time because i see these people these women and men at these conferences and there's such know-it-alls man they just think that they've got it all licked and that uh, you know they're going to be the ones that uh, subtly bring it forward in this new new age type of way so it's just as prevalent over here as it is over there mm -hmm. and um it's it's just the heart it's the human condition well one thing that does give me hope is uh and i hope he's right so josh cutchin the guy i'm writing my new book with he keeps saying again and again that materialism is losing 
as a as a whole we're it's going out and people are going to be much more open to you know a non-materialist way of looking at the world so that gives me hope i hope he's right i i think it's a, it's a really hard battle i mean a, a great example is the the nuts and bolts ufo versus the something else i mean that or even in the Bigfoot world, you know, the, the the big hairy ape in the woods versus something else. It has such a hold in people because of this, you know, this Newtonian way of thinking mm-hmm. you know, that that it's really hard to break. But I mean, Josh is a super smart guy. If he really feels like materialism's on its way out, uh, I hope he's right. I really do. Yeah, I hope he's right about the, the materialism ending. Um, you know, I live right outside of uh, Seattle, Washington, and work there occasionally, and it's anything but uh, you know disappearing in the in the hearts of big cities, and I, I worry about that theory. I guess you know I would probably say Josh Hutchins could be right when it comes to that, but I I worry about the exact opposite that materialism is the new god, that technology is the new god. It's the ultimate materialism. And if you cannot catch up with the singularity, I mean, just look at the panic in the child's face when they don't have the the latest tech, you know, Mm -hmm. be it gaming systems or whatever. I mean, the real sense of uh, self-worth connected to how much of a cyborg you are, you know, right, <laughs> it's, right. re- it's really turned into the fact that how close are you to a, you know, an engineered object and you keep these things on your body at all times. And um, they're constantly monitoring you as much as you're monitoring them. And so if you watch episodes of black mirror on the Netflix, uh, I said on the Netflix, like an old man, if you watch episodes of black mirror on Netflix, you'll get a sense of the kind of dystopian aspect of materialism and tech. But yeah, I, th- I think tech is the new ultimate material, and it is the new god. It's candy for the mind, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, not always, uh, obviously, you can't live on a diet of candy. Wise words from Timothy Renner. That was quite the dental note that you added towards the end there. No, you can't live on a diet of candy. And if I did, it'd probably be Reese's Pieces, just like E.T. I'd chase them through the forest. That was part one. All right, if you want to hear part two, which I said has added bonus content from the Owl Moon Lab, including this really bizarro video that showed up on Daryl's phone. Now, this is... uh, a short little 22-second video that mainly sounds, well, it sounds like background noise, like he accidentally turned on his phone. You'll just, uh, you'll just hear this audio. And I'm going to put it in part two, but um, there's something going on, I think, in this audio here that is pretty regular for us down there as far as what it may mean. It's uh, it's an unknown language on this audio mixed in with possible known language. And it showed up after we left the Al Moon Lab. Maybe it's nothing. Uh, you'll have to hear the wind-up uh, beforehand. So part two with Timothy Renner and then the added bonus material, including some audio you've never heard before. So that will be in the membership format underneath the second level uh, on patreon just go to patreon type in al moon lab and sign up for the second level one 
And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. Strangebrowradio at gmail.com. All right, that's it for me, folks. Oh, before I go, don't forget to check out the Point Casino coming up this week, the 11th and 12th in Kingston, Washington. I'll be there with the booth. Uh, there's a lot of speakers there. I think there's like five or six. Tom Powell, Ron Moorhead, just to name a few. And me, myself, and I, along with uh, Aaron, Farrell by Aaron, and Biggie. Come get your photograph with Biggie. And I'll have some wood watchers there. So that's going to be at the Point Casino this weekend, 11th and 12th. And then Manresa Castle coming up the 25th and 26th. If you'd like to be a part of that. Let me know at strangebrowradio at gmail.com or just call the castle, Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, Washington. If you want to book a room, go to the castle NPT, I-N-P-T dot com, and you can book a room for the Halloween party, which is on the 26th, or you can book a room for the 25th by just calling the Manresa Castle. It's a haunted hotel, second floor in particular. That's where Ron Moorhead and I'll be, so... Come have a, uh, a libation with us, and uh, we'll be having a lot of fun for our first event here. We call Podcast Alive in Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, Washington. All right, I'm out of breath. Thank you again for listening, and hope to see you in part two. If not, I will see you next week for our regular members. And as always, I'll see you in the trees. Mm-hmm.